So, Persia Vayetze. Interesting Persia. We are, um, I'll tell you a quick story. Story of my life. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, this was actually the last serious Miluim, and I would actually say that this is one of the two or three events that convinced me that it's time to pass the baton. You know, when you're 20 years old, you're running around the hills, it's fine. When you're 50, it's not so cool, you know? So this was like, uh, we were drafted, uh, maybe I have to give you a background, um, but we were drafted in uh, 19, this was like, what, six, seven years ago, and it was gonna be a very difficult million because we were doing it with a group of Tzanchanim, with a group of paratroopers, and um, because our unit wasn't big enough, whatever, and um, we were given the best possible gizrah, the best possible location for our kav. You know, Meluim, sometimes you do an imun, sometimes you do maneuvers, and sometimes you do like you're on the border, you're doing kav, you're in Ramallah, you're in Lebanon, whatever it is. So this is gonna be a kav. So you never look forward to kav, because it's much longer, it's like three and a half weeks. Uh, you have to interrupt your life, you have to stop everything. But uh, I knew that we were going to do this with a group of Tzanchanim, and the average age of this unit of Tzanchanim, of paratroopers, was about 26, 27. Most of them had finished the army just a few years earlier, which really scared me, because 22, 23-year-olds, they can do things that a 50-year-old can't do, right? <laughs> so I wasn't sure how we were going to manage this, but okay. But the theory in the army was that our experience, coupled with their youth, would be a good match. Okay. So we had three, they gave us a gizra, which was right near my house. It was Somatagush and point south towards Hebron. And I was like, this is awesome, because I can pop home, I can be whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't, because on the one hand, it's great to be in an area you know. On the other hand, when you're in Miluim, you start to find all the things that are going on in your neighborhood that you didn't know about. Not really sure I wanted to know that. Anyway, this was like two days before the end of the Miluim. Um, I was exhausted. I, I really, I couldn't move. I mean, they were doing, you know, Masa'ot to Maravim of like, you know, 17, 18 kilometers every night, and I had to go with them, and you're supposed to, you're an officer, you're supposed to show them a role model, so you have to carry this heavy gear or whatever. And we had just gotten back from uh, a very long uh, uh, mission, and then followed by a riot, and just like, I finally, we got back to base, and I had like uh, five or six hours off, but I was uh, put in charge of the Kitat Konanuk. Like every time in your company, there's eight guys that have to be on ready alert. If something happens, they jump into the vehicles and dash off to wherever they're supposed to go. And this, you know, at least a couple times a week, something like that would happen. So they told me, okay, you're Kitat Konanuk. I find out which seven guys are with me. We all have to, you know, we can be in the tents, but we have to be in our uniforms and our boots, right? So we're lying, I'm lying down on my bed and I fall into the deepest sleep within like a minute because I'm exhausted and I haven't slept. And as soon as I get into the deepest sleep, right, I feel somebody shaking me and I hear on the, there's a loudspeaker that's in our, amongst our barracks, whatever, for emergencies. And it says, you know, a code word, brush or key, whatever it is for the fact that they're suspecting that there's an infiltration at the main gate of the base. Now that's a very serious thing and you practice for this, and you don't really think something like this could happen, but it could happen, we're in a hot zone. And uh, so you jump out of bed, right? You jump out of bed, you grab your gear, you get everybody else, and I'm getting the info while I'm running out of the barracks, out of the tent, and they say that it's up at the main gate. This is a serious thing, like there's a shomer on duty, who knows what's going on, so we run. Now we're, our tents were at the bottom of this hill, and we had to get up this very long hill, 
And I would say to the main gate of the base, it was probably about a kilometer, right? Now, if you're jogging or you're running in your sneakers and your shorts and your t-shirt, and you have to run a kilometer, if you really, it's an emergency, you have to run, right? How long do you think it takes you to run? Maybe a kilometer and a half, a kilometer, a kilometer and a half. It takes five minutes, seven, 10 minutes, right? It's not a long run, right? Okay, but you've got your gear on. You're in boots, not sneakers. You've got this ceramic vest, which is bulletproof, that you have to wear, all your gear, right? And you're after three weeks of milling, so you can't move because you've been doing this milling with 19, you know, 22-year-olds. And I'm trying to get up this hill, right? And all of a sudden, somebody yells, you know, Turki, which means Targil, which means this is just an exercise. Like, don't worry, this is not real, right? And I'm like, what? And I see that uh, one of the other officers in, in, from the base, not from our particular unit, was there. He was running alongside, and he says, Kabel Turki. Like, just know, tell me that you've heard that it's, so I have to make sure that everybody knows it's an exercise. Now, what's the big difference between an exercise and an actual event? The first difference is you, you take your live ammo out of your gun because you're doing an exercise. You don't have ammo in your gun. So you have to stop for a second. Everybody has to pull out their ammo. There's something you have to do to check that everybody's ammo is limited. And I'm like heaving, because I'm like running up this hill. And then we go back to exercise. The second difference is now you're annoyed. It's two or three days before the end of your reserve duty. Like you always do a couple of exercises to make sure the unit knows what they're supposed to do the first couple of days. But this is like two days before the end of the unit. We've done this exercise two or three times. We don't need to do this now. We're exhausted. I had just gotten back from patrol. And I remember somebody saying that there might be some high-ranking officer coming by the base, checking our unit's readiness, whatever. But really, like two days before the end, now I'm getting annoyed. Not only am I getting annoyed, but now there are other people rolling alongside and they're all watching us. So I realize we're being graded on how we do this. Now, I don't personally care. I'm 50 years old. I'm at the end of my military career. I don't care if you don't like the way I do it or not. But I realize I'm, I'm with a unit, and some of them are younger, and like, it's not fair to them. So I'm like, you know, sort of... The Froom version of cursing under your breath, right? Why am I doing this? And you can't, you know, when you get closer, you can't just run. Then you got to assume, and I see there's a guy in the distance, right? And he's got a gun, and he's yelling, ish, 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 which is what you do in an exercise to say, like, I'm firing at you, right? So as soon as that happens, you have to hit the dirt. Now I'm even more annoyed, because, like, I'm 50 years old. I got to go hit the dirt and do rolls and whatever, fine. Then I realize it's one of my fellow officers, right? It's, it's, it's another deputy company, like, what? Like, why are you doing this? This is ridiculous. I'm thinking, did the machat make him do this? Is the, the, the brigade commander, what's going on? I'm really annoyed now, but we're already committed to this thing. So you get up and you go and you direct and whatever, hit the dirt again, and as I hit the dirt, I bang my knee and like, off my knee, whatever it is, like, you don't wanna be doing this. And I'm really getting annoyed. Now I know I should be in a state of gratitude to Karsh Baruch Hu. What an opportunity to serve Shamayim and to make Israeli soldiers more ready. But I'm like, ah! Until I get to the top, top of the hill, I can't breathe. I think I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm carrying all this heavy gear, right? You have to get there as fast as you can. So I'm like heaving and hoing. And I see my wife is standing at the gate to the base. And she is laughing herself silly. And I see next to her is one of my daughters, and she's laughing hysterically. They think this is really fun. I'm like, what are you doing here? And I realize now something's going on. And I, so we get up, and all the soldiers with me see this, and they're not sure. And two of them who are in the know are grinning. My fellow officer is laughing his tuchas off. Like, this whole thing is just so funny to him. What happened? It was my 50th birthday. I totally forgot it was my birthday. 
and my wife wanted to do something for my birthday. So she showed up with a cake. But of course she's a civilian, they won't let her in the military base. Because it happened to be I was on a base that was like 10 minutes from my home, right? In the gush. So she didn't know what to do, but she had the number of this fellow officer of mine. So she called him up to see if there's any way she'd get in the base. So he said, there's no way I can get you in the base, but I'm sure I can get him up to the front gate. Watch this. And he arranges for us to be, you know, mukpats to have an exercise so that we can all run up the hill and get to the front gate. And I have this moment. I'm torn between wanting to shech this fellow officer and words that are beyond description for my wife, right? And I suddenly realize this is one of those moments. This is one of those moments to just take a pause. Like, like it's my 50th birthday and I'm in an army base. Like what is the likelihood that you're 50 years old and you're in an Israeli army uniform on your birthday and your wife has slept all the way to the base with a cake with your name on it and a whole bunch of goodies to give to my soldiers, right? And everybody's laughing. How could you possibly be in a bad state of mind in a moment like that? And then, you know, I spent an hour, there were like picnic tables outside the front gate, so we sat there and we had a little birthday celebration, and Yishtabach Shemo, I was still the officer in charge of duty, so I had to go back into the base, right? Life is all about perspective. It's all about perspective, you know? It's how you look at things. And I want to show you this in two fascinating examples in this week's Parsha, okay? So listen to this. This is interesting, okay? We all know that, you know, there are stories in Tanakh that are very challenging in terms of how we relate to our, our leaders, our avot as role models. And, you know, we, we discussed Yitzchak and, and, and Esav and Yaakov last week. And we could talk about Avram and Hagar and Yishmael, not simple stories. Yaakov leaves the house of, of, of Yitzchak and he goes down to the world of Lavan. This is the yeshiva bacher who's going to college. Only he's going to be schooled in the school in the university of real life. And one night he's sort of hanging out in the tent learning Rambam. And the next night He's in the sweatshop, you know, working in the fields. Becomes a shepherd. Hard work being a shepherd. But there's one silver lining. What is this silver lining to Yaakov's story, to the shock of being torn away from his home, a brother who wants to kill you, his parents are sending him away? What's the silver lining? What's her name? Rachel. He sees Rachel. Now, the way Yaakov meets Rachel is, is for the movies, right? It, it's unbelievable. He sees this woman coming with the sheep. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have that much experience sheep herding. But I'm imagining that a woman who's out herding the sheep is not dressed to kill. She's not ready for a date. I mean, has anybody here ever done any of those, like, experimental, like, let's go out and shepherd, you know? Some of you remember this from last year. It stinks. I mean, when you came back from shepherding, you smell, right? If, if somebody didn't go and he's in the room and you all come back. So, and yet, he, he's, 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 he's taken by her, right? He, he rolls, he gets this strength, he wants to impress her, he rolls off this stone. It's not exactly what happens, but whatever, right? Vayishakla, and now I know when you're in second grade, the yeshiva katana, they kind of skip that pasuk, but tachlis. 
what's going on there? He's madly in love with her, so it seems. And he cries. And the Rashi talks about it. He envisions the base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed. He has this overwhelming moment. What does it mean, by the way, when a person cries? What does it mean when you cry? Anybody know? Like, why do you cry? What are the two major things that can happen that cause you to cry? People cry for two reasons. Sadness and jabbing, right? So you get like the mother crying at their daughter's wedding because tears of joy and, and tears of, 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 of grief. Why do you cry when you're happy or when you're sad? Because something touched your nishama. Because something connected to who you are and what you're doing here and your ratzon in this world just happened. Yaakov has met the woman who he understands somehow intuitively whether you take you know, the drush, mystical approach, he's a navi, or just in practical life, these things can happen. So he has this incredible moment, and he has to work for her and love and tricks him and whatever else. And then comes this pasuk. Now we know what happens, he wants to marry her. Lovin says, sure, right? You have to work for seven years. And then Yaakov is all set to do that. And he's going to marry her. And then something crazy happens. What happens is crazy. Lovin says, not so fast. Lokach nahog, this is not how we do it. You know, the Bechira doesn't get married before the Tzihira, before the young one. And he switches them. Now, put aside for the moment how, how that happens. How do you have a wedding night with the wrong woman and not realize? There are practical understandings here. There are deeper messages here. Put that aside. Right? By the way, there is a very deep idea here, just as an aside, um, which I actually first heard. I think it's a piece from Rav Cook, but I first heard it from Rav Aaron many, many years ago. Did you ever go to a wedding? Who has been to a wedding? Been to a Jewish wedding? Okay, you know what a bedeckin is at the wedding? Right? At the beginning of the wedding, when they, you know, they, they sign the ksuba, they do whatever, and then they dance the chatan to the kala, to the bride. And she's sitting in a seat. That's actually halacha. She's sitting in a chair. Right? It's a minag ashkenaz. According to the Mordechai, that's the beginning of the chuppah. And I think it's Mordechai. And, 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 and what does he do? Right? He goes over to her. What does he do? Anybody remember? Yeah? So what does he do? What does he do? He puts on the veil. He veils her, right? Okay. Now, why does he do this? Why do we have this veiling, this bedekin? So you started saying, why? So he can do what? Check to make sure it's the right person, right? Right? Because Yaakov intended to get Rachel and he got Leah. The only problem is that custom makes no sense. If the whole reason we have this custom to veil the bride so that we'll be sure we're getting the right bride, we should do the opposite. He should get to the bride who's veiled, and he should unveil her. In fact, there's a minag, which I experienced at my own wedding, and I didn't understand at the time, and later I found out. When, when the chassan finishes, put aside, you know, you make brachos, you give a brachos, then you turn him around, and you waltz him away. There's a minag to turn him around. And he's not supposed to look back. And in fact, Rav was my Masada and he married us, and he did that. He turned us around, and, and, the, and you see in the wedding video that I'm like looking over my shoulder and he's like, okay, keep going, right? So the minak makes most sense. Like if, if you're supposed to make sure you don't get switched, then, then you should come and veil her and, and unveil her. What's really going on there? This is deep. You ready for deep? This is deep. When you get married, you're going to meet a girl. And however, longer you go, you go, however long you go out with her, I'm a big believer, go out as long as you need. Engagement should be short. 
Engagement is an intense period of time. It's nisht here, nisht here. You're not married yet, but you're not just dating, and it's pressure, and the family isn't. Don't have a long engagement. That's my advice to you. But okay. Right? So, and you think you know who you're marrying. You're marrying Rachel. You're marrying the girl you love. Hopefully, she's the love of your life. And then you get married. And you know what you find out? You did get Rachel, but you also got Leah. There's a whole side to the person you're marrying that you had no idea. And you need to know when you get married. You think you know this girl, you have no clue. I'm married over 30 years, Baruch Hashem. I have a wonderful marriage. I had no idea who I was marrying. No idea. I knew Rachel, but Leah? I've been getting into Leah for 30 years. And Baruch Hashem, Leah's incredible. And I haven't lost Rachel. There's a very deep idea there. Okay, so Yaakov gets married. He thinks he's only marrying Rachel. Hashem says otherwise, and we mentioned this in a previous year. Leah had, had strange eyes. She was crying. Why was she crying? Rashi says, because she was supposed to marry Esav. She's meant to be the fourth of the mothers. Esav was supposed to be the fourth father. He takes a wrong turn. Yaakov takes his place. Hashem says, eh, I'm going to show you. You're going to have both of them. Yaakov is meant to marry Rachel Valea. Now listen to this puzzle. All this was introduction to this puzzle. When Perak Haftet, Pasuk Lamad Lamad Aleph, Vayavo Gamet Rachel, right? And so he brings Rachel also. Now Leah is married to him because she got switched. I'm putting aside for the moment how you could be married to someone if you didn't make a kinyan, you didn't think she was her, but that's okay, whatever. And now he works another seven years, he gets Rachel. So Vayavo Gamet Rachel, he brings Rachel also. Vayehav Gamet Rachel, and he loves Rachel too. Now that's a perfectly normal puzzle. That makes sense. And that implies the fact that he loves Rachel also means that he also loves Leah. And that's the way it should be. Okay, he's married to her. He loves her. And in addition to loving her, he also loves right, Rachel. But that's not what it says. Look at this. It says, Vayehav gamet Rachel mileah. What does the word mileah mean? More than. I love you more than him. This pasuk makes no sense. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. Either you also love Rachel or you love Rachel more than Leah. This, this sentence makes no sense. Now, by the way, whenever you find a pasuk in the Torah, which grammatically doesn't make sense, the Torah is telling you that something's going on. What's the best example of this, which I once mentioned here? Anybody? And Cain said to Hevel his brother, and, he, and it was when they were in the field, and Cain arose and killed Hevel. That sentence doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no, there's something missing there. It doesn't say what he said. Right? Anytime you find a puzzle, there are more examples of that. So there's something wrong here. We have to figure out what's wrong here. What's the next pasuk? This is one of the most painful psukim in the story of our forefathers and foremothers. Vayar Hashem kisnu aleya. And Hashem saw that Leah was hated. So he opened up her womb, and Rachel remains barren. Now that's even more fascinating. Hashem sees that Leah is hated. But it doesn't say that Leah is hated. It says, it implies that Leah was loved. So why does Leah feel that she's hated? Now go a stage further. How hated is Leah? Right? Listen to this. Fatah Leah. So Leah becomes pregnant. 
Vateled Ben, and she has a son. Now this is Avram Avinu's first great-grandson. It's Yitzchak's first grandson. It's Yaakov's first son. That's amazing. What would you name your first son if you're a Yaakov? What would you name him? First son. Okay, you could go Sephardi. By the way, this is proof the Sephardi were wrong. No offense, Josh, right? He's not named, you know, Yitzchak ben Yaakov ben Yitzchak ben Yaakov. It doesn't work that way. Right? Only later they decide to do this. Okay, right? I, I don't know. I would name him Breshit. I would name him, you know, Toda, something, Eli El, something. Listen to this name. Vatikrashmo Reuven, Ki Amra Kira Hashem Beonyi. Hashem saw me in my suffering. Reuven. First boy, first Jewish grandson, first Jew that will continue the Jewish people is called suffering. It gets better. Vatalea. Right? Oh, sorry. Ki ra'a Hashem b'onyi, that Hashem saw my suffering, ki ata now yevani ishi. Maybe now my husband will love me. My man will love me. In other words, I don't feel loved. So she feels hated, and she doesn't feel loved, and she names her son suffering. Vatarot, and she gets pregnant again. Vatelet ben, and she has another son. Vatomer ki shama Hashem, ki snua anochi. Hashem has heard that I'm hated. Shimon. Shimon from the language of Sina. She feels hated. So she's got two sons. Suffering and hated. Oh, suffering, stop messing with your brother hated. That's unbelievable. But it gets better. Right? Vatomer Now maybe this time Yelave Ishi Maybe. Maybe, sorry, Yelave Ish Eli. A man. It doesn't say Ishi. It doesn't say my husband. Just an Ish. Yaakov to her is an Ish. There's something clearly lacking in their relationship. And what does she call him? Maybe now he'll come be with me. Now she gets pregnant, so he has to have been with her. But she doesn't feel that way. She's just the second wife who serves as a uterus. But he's not really with her. So, first son is called suffering. She's lonely. Second son is called hated. Third son is called alone. Something's wrong. Something's really wrong. Now, it's Thanksgiving. So there has to be a happy ending, right? So what's the fourth son name? Vatar od now I will be thankful to Hashem. Right? Chagahodaya, right? Thanksgiving. Alkein Krashmo Yehuda. Very interesting, by the way. Four sons. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Who becomes the leader? Yehuda. The one that's called be thankful to Hashem. Very interesting. Don't underestimate the power of a name. Don't underestimate the power of your name. And don't miss the opportunity to underestimate or to, or, or to value the ability to name your child. So what's going on here? The most fascinating thing is it never says that Yaakov hates Leah. It never says Yaakov doesn't want to be with Leah. It just says that he also loves Rachel. So what do you do with this Pasuk? So Rabbi Sachs, Allah Shalom, Zetzal, has a beautiful idea. And I think it really fits. He points out 
You know, Judaism is a religion of love. I mean, the pinnacles of Judaism are all about love, right? Ve'avta Tashem, Ve'avta Lurecha Kamocha, right? It's very interesting that in the Rambam, immediately following the mitzvah, right? Remember we spoke about the 11 mitzvah in Hilchodeot? Right? We said, you know, lidamot bidrachav, to imitate Hashem's ways, lidabek biyodav, to cling to those who know him. The third one, pinnacle of Hilchodeot, of character development, is Ve'avta Lurecha Kamocha. To love your fellow Jew. What's the fourth? To love the stranger. Avat Geri. Why does that follow? We're in the middle of Hilchos Deos. You know, I would think that we would first think about how do I become a better Jew. Don't hate your brother. But we interrupt this to say, love also the stranger. So Rabbi Sachs, he doesn't ask that question, but Rabbi Sachs makes a really good point. He says, there is a problem to love. And that is love is always particular. When you love someone, the risk that someone else will feel less loved is great. It's not that Yaakov hates Leah, it's that he loves Rachel so much. And because he loves Rachel so much, so Leah feels hated. That's an unbelievable idea. This is very dangerous. You know, you want to love your children. But when you love your children, you take a risk. Because love is particular, right? Interesting. Where do we find love in the Torah? Every time you find love, it gets complicated. Right? This is one example. The other example from last week's Pasha, right? Yitzchak loves Esav, and Rivka loves Yaakov. Now, Rivka loves Yaakov just because he's Yaakov, and also because she's been foretold. We spoke about that. But as soon as they start loving, it gets complicated. Right? Where is the first time we find the concept of love? Ava in the Torah. You all know this, you just might not know you know this. Every single one of you knows this, I guarantee this, yeah? Is that what? What, where, where exactly, what story? No, famous story. Who is the one who says that someone loves someone? First time love is mentioned in the Torah. You all know this. You just don't know you know this. Yeah? Nope. Doesn't say Abraham loves Yishmael. That's actually probably a problem. Never says that. No. Kachet mincha et yechidcha asher ahavta. Right? Story of the Akedah. Hashem says to Avram, take your son, your only son, that you love. That's where it starts. And that becomes super complicated. Right? Every time you find love, this is not my idea, by the way, this is Rabbi Sachs. Every time you find love in the Torah, it gets complicated. Right? That may be why there is only one Pasuk in the entire Torah where the Torah tells us why Hashem chose the Jewish people. Why does Hashem love us so much? Why does He love us? Right? Anybody know which Pasuk? It's actually a really easy Pasuk to remember because it's Parak Yudchet, Pasuk Yudchet is Brichi. You can't forget Yudchet Yudchet, right? 1819. Ki Think about Rav Dessler's opinion of Ladat. Dat is all about knowledge. So Ki Yadativ, that I know him, Hashem is speaking about Avram, that I have a relationship with him. Right? Okay? Sorry, Dat is all about relationships, right? 
כי ידעתיו למען אשר יצווה את בניו ואת ביתו אחריו ושמרו דרך השם לעשות צדקה ומשפט. The reason that I have a relationship with Avram, the reason I chose Avram to begin the Jewish people, is because I know that he will make sure that his children, his home, all those who follow him, will keep Derech Hashem. Now, some of you may recognize this Pasuk. It was quoted by who? Recently in the class I gave? Rambam. The Rambam. Under what context? Do you remember, Simcha? It was the third path. Exactly. It was Derech Hashem. Very good. Third path. Derech Hashem. It's all about... All about balance. And if you remember, some of you asked, why, how does the Rambam learn that a person is supposed to be balanced from this Pasuk? Because it says, Lasot Mishpat. He will teach them to do tzedakah. And to do tzedakah, to give tzedakah, that's, that's an abundance of doing extra. That's Bifnim Meshur right? You don't feel when you're giving tzedakah, even though the word is tzedek, you should be doing this. You don't feel, you feel like you're doing something extra, like you're doing, you know, above and beyond. That's how we feel when we're giving tzedakah. But mishpat, mishpat is the opposite. Mishpat is justice, right? Judaism suggests that even though we're a religion of love, you can't have love without justice. Love is particular. Justice is universal, right? When you love someone, you risk that someone else will be hated. Justice is for all, okay? So the problem here seems to be twofold. The one side of the coin is that because Yaakov loves Rachel, Leah feels hated. By the way, where does Yaakov understand that Leah is hated and do something about it? Anybody remember? Anybody? Where does Yaakov actually do something about it? No, that's Rachel and Leah do something. That's not Yaakov. I'll give you a hint. If you have an answer, you'll get it wrong. Yaakov doesn't do anything about it. You will not find a passage in the Torah that it says that Yaakov intuits and understands that Leah feels hated and figures it out and does something about it. Which is tragic and leads to many challenges. By the way, how do I know Yaakov doesn't learn this lesson? Because what happens in Parshat Vayeshev, in a couple of Parshiot? Right? What does it say? It says, hang on, see if I can find this. Beginning of Parshat Vayeshev. Nobody knows the Pasuk Balpeh? Exactly. For Yisrael ahavet Yosef mikol banav. He loves Yosef from all his brothers. So because he loves him, again, it becomes a mess. Now, whether he actually loved him more, or whether just the fact that he loved him so much make his brothers feel that he loves him more is a good question. So... Loving carries with it a risk. Now, by the way, when is the only instance where love does not carry a risk? Pardon? Avat Hashem. Why? Because there's only one Hashem. There isn't another God that could feel less loved. Right? By the way, a lot of the challenges that pagans had were because they have this problem. We don't. So you have to temper love with justice. That's one perspective. There's another side of the coin, which is Leah. Leah's life was completely changed not because of what Yaakov did. It doesn't say that Yaakov hated her, but because of how she perceived what Yaakov did. The way we look at the world is the world we live in. Because Leah feels hated, she becomes hated. Because she feels lonely, she is lonely. Because she sees herself as suffering, she is suffering. Right? So I can't think of a better message to talk about on Thanksgiving. Because the flip side is, you know, somebody, I think of Judah, just sent me a... Uh, 
like a text. He showed me, a, a, he saw a survey. They did a study on the effect of gratitude in the workplace. And it turns out that 81% of employees become more productive when their boss demonstrates some form of gratitude. Now, gratitude is a simple thing, right? There are two levels to gratitude. One is to feel grateful. The other is to demonstrate gratitude. Like, if you have somebody who works, who's incredible, and you don't regularly tell them how grateful you are that they work with you or for you or whatever else you look at it, then there's something wrong, right? Imagine you have someone who bakes cookies like Michal bakes cookies, who runs the office like she. How could you not regularly tell her how awesome she is, right? How could you not regularly tell Scott, and so on and so forth, right? So gratitude is a state of perception. It's how we choose to look at the world. There isn't anyone who doesn't have something to be thankful for, and there isn't anyone who doesn't have something to be miserable about. You get to decide whether you're grateful or miserable. And I'll give you one more example. Okay, and then we'll do a little chadar I'll give you one more example. This is a crazy story. Same parsha, because I think this is one of the themes of the parsha. So you remember the story. Yaakov is down in, in Padanaram, and an angel comes to him. And the angel says, right, and Yaakov has a dream. And in the dream, he's dreaming about, anybody know? He's down in the house of love and he's been there 22 years. Anybody remember? What's he deep? Who? He's dreaming about sheep. Because he's got this whole deal, right? If he gets speckled, spotted sheep, he gets richer. He's dreaming about sheep. And an angel comes to him, whatever that means, Malach, and says, right, Kumale Arta, you're supposed to go back to Eretz Israel. It's time to go home. So the Mepharshim say, think about what's going on here. Yaakov went down to the house of Lavan. He was, he was one step out of the base medrash of Yitzchak. He stops in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. And he's dreaming about what? About angels and ladders. And Kosh Baruch he talks to Hashem. 22 years later, he's been living in the house of Lavan. He's dreaming about sheep. You know? You're sitting here and you fall asleep. And maybe, maybe you have this holy dream. Maybe, you know, Rav Gavriel was sharing with you a ketzos, and it's a difficult ketzos, and then he shows you Rabbi Kiva Eger, and you're trying to feel what's the hakira between them, and you go to sleep, and you just can't, you dream like Kiva Eger, Rabbi Kiva Eger comes to you and dream. And then, never, you go back to Shmuz Lawrence, and, you know, you're, 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 you're doing your degree, you got a degree in business and schmeconomics and whatever, right? And then, and then after four years, you know, you got to get the internship, because that's why you get the degree, so you got the internship. And then after you have the internship, so you got to do the graduate degree. Then you finish the graduate degree. Now you got to get another job. But you're just starting out. You got to do 100 hours a week. And you fall asleep one night. And you're dreaming that the next day you get in. And the boss likes your stock picks. And he says, I'm promoting you to partner. You understand? You understand what happened? You used to dream about partnering with Akiva Eger. And now you're dreaming about partnering with Donald Trump. Something's wrong. And you know what happens? When you realize that you've come that far, you've distanced yourself that far, you need to get back home. You need to take a step back. Yaakov, it's time to go home. You're dreaming about sheep, it's time to go home. It's interesting, by the way, whenever you see in the Torah that the, the, the conveyor of a message is a malach, it's because the character, the protagonist, has become distant from Hashem. That's why at the end of the Akedah, at the end of the Binding of Isaac, ya- Avram is communicating with a Malach. Because if you can hold a knife in your hand over your son, even though you believe you're doing what Hashem wants of you, it will distance you from Hashem. That's why Hagar leaves the house of Avram. It's a Malach that comes to save her. Because she's distant. She's left the house of Avram. Lot in stone is saved by a Malach. Because he's distant from Hashem. Right? 
You're looking at the forces of nature instead of the source of nature. Okay. So now Yaakov, Yisrael, right, is going to come back. And he's got to get out of there overnight. For whatever the reasons. Lovin won't let them go. Lovin has an army. Lovin will trick them into staying. Whatever the reason. There's haste. And you may remember this. He comes to his wives in the middle of the night. He said, we're going. And they get out of there in the middle of the night. And they run. And Lavan realizes after three days that they haven't come back from the sheep shearing or whatever, so he realizes they've escaped. So he runs after them. They were prisoners of sorts. And he finally catches up with them. What's he really upset about? Anybody remember? Rachel stole something called the truffin, some form of pagan idolatry. Now think about this for a minute. It's the middle of the night. You've got to get out in a hurry. You're grabbing what you can, right? And, and Rachel goes to steal the idols? This is Rachel Imenu? Rashi is so uncomfortable with this, she says, maybe she's trying to distance her father from idolatry, but that's very difficult within the Pshat of the story. What is that all about? Okay, so then Lavan catches up with them. And now he's looking for the Trophim. And Rachel has them, and she realizes she's in big trouble. And Yaakov says, you can take whoever, this is not good. So what does she do? She thinks quick, and she hides them. Now, let me ask you a question, honest question. First of all, if you're t taking the idols and you're not an idolater, you just want to get them away from your dad, right? There is actually one opinion, uh, the Klayakar talks about this, the Archaim alludes to it, uh, that these truffin do have some form of power. Um, Judaism doesn't have an issue with astrology because astrology is not true. It makes sense that Hashem created the universe in such a way that every star has its position. And the Gemara talks about astrology. The issue Judaism has with astrology is that astrology presents the idea that if I'm born at a certain time under certain stars, that that's my destiny. You're not going to be a certain type of uh, critical person if you were born as a shul in, 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 around, you know, Lagba Omer, right? Judaism says that may be true, but you're not stuck in that destiny. You can change that destiny, right? Hashem takes Avram outside. He says, your children will be greater than the stars. What that really means is not that we're more than the stars, because that's ridiculous. What it means is, you're not stuck in destiny. You're going, to, you're going to buck the trend. You're going to be the nation that doesn't fall into the fate of every nation and disappear. Okay. So even if you want to say that there's some value, maybe Rachel is afraid that using these truffim, that, that Lavan will figure out where they are. So then what would be the natural thing to do? What's the smartest thing you could do, yeah? Destroy them. Or you know what? Maybe they have value. Bury them in the sand. What does she do? She keeps them in her tent. Now, Lavan doesn't walk right into a tent. Lavan is searching first in Leah's, possibly in Billa and Zilpah's, so that's debatable. So she has a second. So what does she do? Really? That's the best she can come up with? She puts them under the pillow? Like, can you imagine, like, you're, I don't know, you're, you're a drug dealer, and the cops burst into your house, and you're thinking quick, right? What does the average guy do? We know this from the movies. He throws it in the toilet. No. Put him under your pillow and just lie in the bed. Oh, they'll never look there. Like, what a, what a weird thing to do. Listen to this idea. This is amazing. Rav Nevensal in his Sichot says the following, and we'll finish with this. He says, things only hold power. Nature, paganism, money. Things only hold power over us if we give them that power. So what does she do? She sits on them. She degrades them. She demonstrates that... She doesn't respect them. There's no respect for this. And if you don't respect the idol, it's no longer your idol. You know, we live in a world that respects money. You know, you go to a show, 
And who are the people whose plaques are on names on the wall? Who's the one who gets the best seat? Who gets the Haftar on Yom Kippur? The big doctor who made a big donation. The businessman. One of the things I love about this country, at least when I got here, it was still like this. There was no difference between the plumber and the doctor in Shul. Each of them were professionals. Each of them had their own skill set. And if you needed a plumber, he was more important than the doctor. If you needed a doctor, he's more important than the plumber. It's, it's not supposed to be about how much money you earn. If we think that money is most important, then money becomes our idol. So it's all about perspective. You know, you get this year to take a pause and to think about what really matters in my life. What is, gonna, what is my perspective going to be? You know, one day you're going to meet the right girl. Is she important enough that you rearrange your priorities? You know, when you become a parent, so, are you a parent who works 100 hours a week, who spends most of his time on his job, who's busy building his business, but occasionally he's happy to help around the house? Or are you a parent who also has to go to work? And it's not about the quantity of time, although sometimes it is about quantity. It's about how you see the world. And that's what's going. Vayetze is the Pasha of departure. It's about getting out of my perspective. It's about changing my, my mindset. It's about changing the way I look at the world. And that's what Yaakov has to do. And when Yaakov finally succeeds, he acquires a different name. He becomes Yisrael, or at least he has the potential to be Yisrael. He remains Yaakov. So that's a little bit of food for thought on the Parsha of Vayetze. Let's uh, pause here.